Well, good morning. Man, it's good to see you this morning. How do you feel? Are you glad to be back in church? Man, I tell you what, that's, uh, that's awesome. And we're so thankful for those of you who are willing to come out today on this Father's Day and be able to be in person. Likewise, we love you in our online family and we're so grateful for you. And we know that many of you are still tuning in. Even in our first service, we saw a lot of people still using our online platform and we're grateful for you. It's pretty cool how you can use technology to overcome the challenges that we've faced in these days ahead. But even greater, there is a message that is greater than anything that you and I will face. That is the message of Jesus. It is unstoppable, right? In the face of everything that we are going through, the things that we have heard, the things that we see, it is the message of Jesus that overcomes all things. And you, as followers and believers in Christ, that's who you are. You're believing in someone who is unstoppable. He is a way maker, and I'm grateful to celebrate today with you. Um, today, we're going to continue in 1 Peter. So grab your Bibles, and you'll want to find that. We're, we're going through a book of the Bible, and, and quite frankly... With all that we've been through in our world and all that we continue to face, I started looking and saying, okay, where in Scripture is there something that is an anchor for believers? Where is there in Scripture something that will guide those who follow Christ in this generation? And the book of 1 Peter is that. And we're going to pick right up where we left off last week because here's the thing. In our world, we can get lost in our emotions, our feelings, our life circumstances, our culture. But... As followers of Jesus, you've been given something that helps you rise above. You've been given something that helps you process better than this world that we're dealing with. And today, uh, I want to talk to you about something on Father's Day that I know that I deal with as a man. I know that fathers and men, you deal with. And ladies, uh, I don't want you elbowing, nudging, texting, tweeting about the man in your life. Or, uh, you know, I don't want you pointing out someone else when I tell you the topic we're going to discuss today. Um, because you probably deal with this too. It's a reality. Um, here's the thing. Today we're going to talk about... This great, inspiring word on Father's Day uh, that's really going to help you, uh, it's the word disappointment. You ever dealt with disappointment? Have you ever been disappointed in someone in your life? Um, have you ever been disappointed in the world? Uh, have you ever been let down by someone? Yeah. Uh, today I'm going to talk about what it means to not be disappointed. And that, that's a pretty big deal because... The thing is, as a man, here's what I realize. There are times where I'm disappointed in myself, right? Uh, I may be disappointed in my performance. I may be disappointed in how I respond. Uh, I may be disappointed in what life has brought me or how I've navigated through things. I deal with disappointment as a father, as a, as a husband, as an individual, as a Christian. Disappointment. We get disappointed by people. Men, you understand that, right? There are times in life where you get disappointed. You get disappointed in your job or perhaps in where you are at this season of life. Or perhaps you've been disappointed as a father in some of the choices that maybe your children have made. And before we go throwing rocks at the men in the room and the leaders in the room, ladies, have you ever dealt with that? Have you been disappointed with someone, something in your life? It hasn't turned out the way that you wanted you know, the world is full of disappointment. We all are going to deal with disappointment at some season of life. And in this shutdown phase of life and the things that we've been through and that we've seen in our world, there's a lot of disappointment in a lot of ways for a lot of things. 
I mean, try being the pastor of a church, right? Um, hey, you didn't open soon enough. Hey, uh, you, you should have done this. Um, hey, you shouldn't open at all. Like you ever try to navigate the world with people and their emotions and their feelings and their thoughts. And here's what's happening in our world. When you look at it, uh, there's this personal disappointment that sometimes we will deal with as individuals. There's the disappointment of others that they will project on you for some reason that feels important to them, but it may not be true of you. And so they will project disappointment on you. Or maybe the reality is it's not disappointment of yourself or disappointment that others would project on you. Um, maybe you actually have let other people down. That is what it means to be human. And if we follow in life, both ourselves and our own thoughts, agendas, feelings, emotions, um, if we allow ourselves to live under the projection of others onto us, um, or if we look at ourselves through our moments of failure where we know perhaps we didn't measure up, you will live life under a lot of disappointment and disappointment will create darkness in your soul. Uh, disappointment will create doubts about your life currently and your future. Disappointment is something we all have to face. And Simon Peter had to deal with it also. So men, fathers, but also ladies and people of Christ, here's the reality. How do you live not disappointed? Well, as we read today from Scripture, you're going to see that Simon Peter references a passage. Did you realize that in Scripture, there is a passage and there is a phrase, and it's actually used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about how you will live not disappointed. And Simon Peter references it today. So will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together from the letter of First Peter to Christians dealing with all kinds of trials all over the world, as he says. And we pick right up where we left off last week with verse 22 of chapter 1. This is what the word of God says. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. For a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but that which is imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass. And it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, by women, by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also... As living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices 
acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he or she who believes in him, look at it, will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are, because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received his mercy. When I read this passage today and I I look at what Simon Peter would write to Christians then and therefore we can apply and learn from today, it's how do you deal with life's disappointments? How will you overcome the disappointments in life? As people, how do you live not disappointed? And he points to one person. People will always let us down. We will let ourselves down. The things of this world will let us down. And we will experience disappointment. But for he, she, who believes and follows Jesus, by believing in him, you will never be disappointed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray now you will open our hearts to be who you've called us to be. Who you've chosen us to be. To be who we are as children of yours through Jesus Christ. So grow us in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, disappointment, it's real, isn't it? And this season of life has created and shown us a lot of things about how the world works, how people think, how we think, how we process information. And the most natural thing to do is to process the world according to our perspective, our point of view as humans. But as humans, we are flawed. Think about it. Again, when it comes to disappointment, who's let you down? I mean, we all could make a list of people where they have disappointed us, right? Um, Has there ever been a moment where you've let someone else down? Yeah, uh, you've perhaps disappointed someone there. Uh, Maybe you've been disappointed in yourself. You didn't get to where you thought you should be. Maybe your employment didn't lead to where you wanted it to go and Disappointment happens. It happens to every one of us. Why? Because we are human. And when we place our faith and our hope in any person, any cause, any part of this world, both in our recreation and our job pursuits, yes, even perhaps in your family, because there may be dads that are disappointed today. There may be children that are disappointed today. There may be spouses that are disappointed today. Disappointment looms in all of our lives, but you can overcome disappointment 
When you get your eyes off of the things and the people of this world and you put your eyes on the one who will never disappoint. Why? Because Simon Peter understood something about disappointment and he understood something about the one who would help him overcome the disappointments in life. He understood that Jesus, and if you want to take notes, you'll want to write this down. Jesus is the only one who is not going to disappoint us. Why? Because he is the model for us to know how to live real life, to experience real love, and to have real growth in this world. Jesus is the model for real life, for love, and for growth in this world. Only Jesus is our model for real life, learning how to really live, for real love, learning how to really love, and for real growth, learning how to really grow as a person in this world. Simon Peter was well acquainted with Jesus. Here's the thing. I love the fact that Simon Peter is called the rock, right? Cephas. That's one of the names that Jesus applied to him. Kind of a nickname. Because Simon Peter knew that it was only Jesus that could be the Messiah, the Savior, the one to rescue the souls of men and women for all of eternity for those who would believe in him. Simon Peter knew that. And why did he know that? Because Simon Peter was human. He was a man. And in his moments of great passion, there was also great failure. In his moments of great leadership, there was also great disappointment. I mean, think about it. There was a moment in life where Simon Peter, um, yeah, he's walking on water only to sink because he had a moment where he didn't believe, where his faith caved, where he began to sink. And you know what? There are moments in life where perhaps the waves of life and the darkness and the depths of life are going to overcome you. And your faith is not going to seem very strong. And you know what? Those moments can be very disappointing for you. Or maybe others would go, I told you so. That person, I knew that about them. They are a disappointment. But you know what's interesting about that moment? Whenever we think that it's all based on people or all based on ourselves, there is a Savior who reaches into the depths and rescues us when we don't deserve it. There is a Savior who knows that, yes, we are human and the people around us are human and people are going to wag their heads and flap their tongues and they're going to say things about you. But Jesus reaches into the depths, into the oceans of despair, and he pulls Simon Peter up. You know what? He had a moment where even in reality, I mean, think about it. You have moments of challenge, humanity, despair, destruction, all of that happens. But you know, there's this reality, and, and look, I understand theology, I get it. Yes, you walk with Jesus. Yes, you feel the presence of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit, like you know God, you know Jesus, I get that. But last time I checked, none of you physically were able to feel Jesus in the flesh touch you, or you be able to, in the flesh, reach out and touch him. And Simon Peter had that privilege. He had that moment where legitimately he was in the world with the son of God. Would that be cool or what? I mean, would you like that? That would be legit. I mean, we would probably be stronger in our faith and better believers in Jesus if we could just see him, just touch touch him, watch these miracles, sit down with him at the table and have a meal or a cup of coffee today. Wouldn't that be awesome, right? Well, Simon Peter had that. And yet in the moment of Jesus's greatest trial, Simon Peter in a courtyard, Jesus even told him, hey, uh, you're going to fail me. Your faith is going to fail. 
And three times, Simon Peter, in a courtyard close to Jesus, knowing what was happening to Jesus, perhaps even being within sight of what was happening to Jesus, three times denied him, once with explicatives, very clearly separating himself from Jesus. And Jesus reminded him, hey, that's what's going to happen. Do you think Simon was disappointed in that moment? Absolutely. You know, he leaves that moment. Do you think other people were perhaps disappointed with Simon Peter in that moment of his humanity? Man, you're the guy that proclaims Jesus and you're the guy that preaches Jesus and you had great faith and look at you, man. You, you denied him and you cussed him. Look at you. But Jesus wasn't disappointed. You think about it. In our lives, could God really be disappointed with us when he knows that we're human? You think about what Jesus did. Jesus could have rejected Simon in that moment, right? I mean, think about what Simon perhaps deserved by in the flesh rejecting the Son of God. What would he deserve? I mean, for many of us, we might say he deserved to burn, baby, burn, right? That's what he deserved. And perhaps that's what you would project on some people who disappoint you. But that's not how God works and that's not how Jesus works. Because after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus comes to Simon Peter. And Jesus three times affirms to Simon Peter love. Simon, do you love me? Yes, you know I do. Simon, do you love me? Yes, you know I do. Simon, do you love me? Jesus, you know. And three times... Jesus replaced the condemnation that perhaps Peter felt, the darkness that perhaps Simon Peter was walking through, the disappointment that was covering his soul. Three times Jesus replaced that with love. And that's the deal. Is that when we deal with disappointment in our lives, people will let us down. We will let ourselves down. The world will let ourselves down. But if you want to live in a way that overcomes that, that is not disappointed by what life dealt you, by what people say about you, by other things that have let you down or where you legitimately have let other people down, you want to rise above that, you have to look to the only person that is a model for how to live, how to love, and how to grow in this world. His name is Jesus. And Simon Peter delivers that message to Christians going through various trials in that world today. And guess what? You and I need that now in our generation. So here are three things that stand out to me about who Jesus is. And if I want to learn as an individual, as a follower of Jesus, to overcome life's disappointments. And I want to rise above that. And I, I want to learn how to really live. And I want to learn what it means to truly love. And I want to learn what it means to really grow in this world. Then I have to go to him as the model. And here's the first thing that Simon Peter echoes as we read in verse 22, I have to learn, first of all, if I want to truly live, I have to learn to live in sincere obedience to the truth. I have to learn to live in sincere obedience to the truth. And, and Simon Peter words these things well. Learning to live in sincere obedience to the truth. You know, in our lives, uh, we can have feigned obedience. You know, fathers, on Father's Day, you think about your children. Perhaps uh, they obey you in sincere obedience. Or perhaps they just obey you because you got the loudest voice in the house, right? Or maybe the heaviest hand. Or maybe you control the checkbook, right? Um, that's not sincere obedience. That's just obedience. It's feigned obedience. But Simon Peter goes to something very important for believers, for followers of Christ. Learning to live is learning to live in sincerity. 
In other words, it comes from your heart. It's a choice, and it's for real a part of who you are. Learning to live in sincere obedience to the truth he talks about. And that's reflected in a few things. When you learn to live in sincere obedience to truth. Not lies, but to truth. Something that stands the test of time. Something that doesn't change in cultures or seasons or with years that pass. Something that will always be the same. When you live for that, something happens to you. Number one, you have a pure soul. When you live in obedience to sincere truth, your soul begins to change. And only Jesus can purify your soul. You see, in our lives, when we follow the things of the world, when we live according to the opinions of others, our moments where we think too highly or we let ourselves down, there are seeds of disappointment that are sown into our hearts. Seeds of disappointment, they happen in all of our lives. And they happen through people. They happen through circumstances. They happen through our jobs. They happen through our pursuits. Seeds of disappointments. And if we allow those seeds to take root in our soul, those seeds will bring forth fruit. They will sprout. And what happens for many of us in our lives is our souls become dark. Yeah, we, we trust in God. Yes, we have asked Jesus to save us. But those seeds of disappointment sprout. And they bear forth fruit in our lives. Fruit of discouragement, darkness. They, they bear forth fruit of that disappointment, hatred, envy, slander. All of these things that Simon Peter would reference. These are the natural fruit of disappointment. That's what the seeds that are perishable will sow. But if you sow likewise into your heart an imperishable seed based on truth, and he's talking about Jesus. So when you begin to sow the truth of Jesus into your heart, guess what happens to your soul? The cloudiness, the darkness, the discouragement of your soul, it begins to separate. Light begins to penetrate the darkness and what is perishable of this world gets pushed to the side by what is imperishable of God. And your soul begins to be set free. You learn that you can truly live because Jesus has cleansed your soul. And Jesus is the only one who can separate your soul from the trappings, from the danger of this world that clouds your vision, your mind, your heart, your being. And your soul becomes purified. Gentlemen, one of the greatest challenges that we face as men is a pure soul, right? But when you plant the imperishable word of truth into your heart, that's how you overcome a dark soul. You begin to be purified. And listen, that's a great challenge for men in this world today. But it is the presence of Jesus that causes you to rise above that. And disappointment sows darkness. But Jesus sows light. And he cleanses your soul. And so living in sincere obedience to the truth purifies our soul. Next, it brings a sincerity of love. A sincerity of love. And you think about love. Love is a tricky thing in our world, right? Uh, the Bible actually, um, there was in the culture, there was an expression for love. Three different words, right? One of them is not used a lot. Two of them are brotherly love, which is, man, we're buds. And then there's this word agape love. And agape love is this self-sacrificing love. And that's not the love that we have because we have to. It's not the love that we have because it's the right thing to do. It's the love that we have because we want to. We genuinely, passionately want to. It is sincere love. It's a choice, but not a choice.
because you're obligated, a choice because you're all in. And the Bible teaches that when you live according to the imperishable truth of God's word, you learn to love sincerely. I mean, think about it on Father's Day. Sometimes your kids will obey you again because you're dad. But don't you love it more when your kids obey you because they want to, because they choose to, because they want to please you. Likewise, when people in your life, they choose to encourage you, to build you up, that just works better than discouragement, tearing down, darkness that happens that we see so often. Sincerity of love, and the Bible talks very clearly, show this to the brethren. And Simon Peter was really clear about that. The brethren, by the way, um, is brothers and sisters. It's the men and women who are followers of Jesus. And therefore it says, for those who are in the family of God, show sincere love, and then also show sincere love to those around you. Show an expression of Jesus to those in the family of God, and those who are around you. And only Jesus could help people overcome disappointment. Only the love of Jesus can cure and solve the challenges that we face in this life. Simon Peter knew that because he had lived in disappointment of himself, of others toward him. He even felt that he had let Jesus down. But Jesus didn't feel that way towards him. And he reached down and he proclaimed his love and he brought Simon Peter back to a point where he lived in sincere obedience to what God had for him. And he was sincere and his love was sincere. And sincere love comes from the heart, fervently loving one another from the heart, not just as an action or an obligation, but it's genuine, it flows for real. And then the third thing that he points out in talking about what is perishable of this world versus what is imperishable, he gives a reference to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8, which says, The grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of God will live forever. It will endure forever. And that teaches us that we as people, if we want to overcome disappointment in our life, we have to pursue enduring glory, which is the word of God. We have to pursue enduring glory. Now, here's the thing for us as gentlemen. Let's be real. I understand this as a man. I know for those of you who are here as men, um, ladies, I'm going to talk to you. So just give me a minute. All right. But here's the reality. We are glory chasers. We chase glory. It's what we do. We want glory in our lives in some capacity. We chase it in our jobs. We chase it in our recreation. Uh, we chase it perhaps with our finances. Uh, we chase it through our children and our families. Uh, we chase it in competition. We chase glory. We want something good to happen. I understand that as an individual. When, when I go fishing with my friends, hey, I don't know what it is, but I always catch the biggest fish, right? Even if I didn't catch the biggest fish, I want to catch the biggest fish. Biblical sport, by the way, you should try it. Here's the thing. Glory chasing. When I go to sports, you guys, you understand this. In our culture, there is only one team, right? That's worthy of all championships right here in New Orleans, right? We get that. We are glory chasers on behalf of someone else. And when you go to the dome under normal circumstances, right? 
you're all involved or you're watching at home and you're doing your tailgate party, you're all invo involved in a moment of glory. But the glory of this world is fleeting. The glory of this world will fail you and actually you will experience disappointment as a glory chaser. Ladies, I know that's true of you as well, um, but I can relate to that as a father, as a man, as a human. And what Simon Peter recognized, hey, listen, this is the guy that wanted to be number one, right? I mean, he's the most faithful, strong fisherman, disciple, follower of Jesus. Oh, he's the man, right? And in his great chasing of glory was great failure and great disappointment. All the glories of this world will let you down. Your job eventually will let you down. Your health eventually will let you down. Your finances will eventually let you down. But when you chase what is an imperishable glory, the grass will wither, the flower will fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And therefore, learning to live in sincere obedience to the truth is learning how to really live. Learning to grab hold of the word which was proclaimed to you. Which is not just words in a page, by the way. That's a good start. The word is the living word. The Bible is very clear that all of the word points to Jesus. And when you have Jesus, the imperishable seed of life dwelling in your heart, and you listen to him, you're chasing his glory, and his glory will never fade. It will not disappoint you. This passage actually references Isaiah chapter 28. And in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, it talks about how those who believe in Jesus will not be disappointed. It's found again in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, verse 33. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus, the chief cornerstone, will not be disappointed. It's likewise found in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, which, by the way, comes after a great passage for Christians. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart, you will be saved. And then it says in verse 11, for whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So learning to live in obedience to the truth, to Christ, will neutralize, will overcome the disappointments of this world because he is truth, he is life, and he is the one who teaches us how to sincerely love and how to truly live. Here's the second thing that stands out as he goes into chapter 2. Simon Peter talks about this reality that you and I, if we want to overcome the disappointments of others toward us, ourselves, life, things like that, we should never stop growing. Never stop growing. Now that sounds really good, by the way, because that sounds like a really good catch phase, phrase in a world today, uh, really good lingo of leadership, right? Never stop growing. I mean, that's, that's really good. But, but Simon Peter understands it's more than that. It's more than just something that makes you feel good. He very clearly says you should never stop growing in your relationship with Jesus. Never. I mean, think about it. What's the age that you get to where you can stop being passionate in your walk with Jesus? I mean, is it that you've been a member of a church for 30 years, 40 years? Is it that you cross 70 and it's all about you now or 80? Is that what it is? Um, or, or is it that you're in your prime and you know better than everybody else? So you're a young buck or a, a young Sheila and you're out there and it's all about you. Is that the point where you can stop growing and stop surrendering to Jesus? No. I mean, the reality of most disappointment in our lives, if you want to boil it down to where it comes from, 
we stop growing in relation to our walk with Jesus. That's where disappointment comes from. And Simon Peter gives a few things about growing. And real life and real growth happen when we point to Jesus at the mo- as the model. And so one of the things Simon Peter says is never stop growing in respect to your salvation. Never stop growing in respect to your salvation. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, the truth. Long for that so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've really tasted of the kindness of the Lord. That's a very important phrase, the kindness of the Lord. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness of the Lord that gives us hope and life. It is the kindness of the Lord that allows us to understand disappointment is not a bondage that we have to live under. It's God's kindness that changes us. And therefore, Simon Peter would say, never stop growing in respect to salvation. He not only had this moment when Jesus was on the earth with him where he had to overcome failures, disappointments, but he had this later on in his life. He never stopped growing. Even as an apostle, he never stopped growing in respect to his salvation. There's not an age, there's not a time, there's not a way that you can arrive You have to continually grow in your walk with Christ. And guess what some of the greatest moments of growth come from? Disappointment. It's when we're hurt, when we're broken, when we've let ourselves down, when we've let others down, when others have let us down and we turn and instead of looking at the perfect people, we look instead to Jesus. That's when we grow in respect to salvation. Isn't that good? And that's a powerful truth that Simon Peter learned and he shared with Christians around the world and he shares it with us. But not only do we stop, never stop growing in respect to salvation, we never stop growing in the character of Christ. When we long for his word and when we long for Jesus like a newborn baby would long for milk, pure milk, when we long for that, we never then stop growing in our character as it reflects Christ. And notice what Simon Peter points out. Therefore, putting aside, listen to this, all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. Have you seen any of that lately? Have you seen any of that in your life? Have you seen that in the lives of others? Do you know where all that comes from? That is the imperishable seed of disappointment that brings forth these fruits in our lives. And they are destructive and they are harmful. And they do not unify and they do no good for any of us. They tear down. That is the world. That is the way in which we live. But the character of Christ. When I long for him and I never stop growing in my relationship with him in respect to salvation. Then the character of Christ begins to replace my character. And quite frankly, every one of us are a character. I'm looking at you. We're all a character in some capacity. But when the character of Christ begins to work inside of us, that's when we begin to grow in who we are and who we've been asked to be by him and created to be by him. Which leads to the third part of growing. What are we to grow as? We are to grow as a holy priesthood. Simon Peter talks about all of this growing is for you and I 
as living stones. So all of a sudden, he's talking about us being a part of something bigger. Being a part of, and the analogy is a building, but all of us have our place in that. You and I as living stones, according to Jesus, are being built up. We are being made into, we are becoming a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. How? Through Jesus. Only through Jesus. That's the only way that we can be holy and a priesthood and bring sacrifices to God. So then we, therefore, should never stop growing as a holy priesthood. Now, this is very important for you and I today, and I I just kind of want to pause here on this one because as a holy priesthood, you and I don't necessarily think of ourselves as a holy priesthood. But this is why that event happened back in history known as the Protestant Reformation. And here's what happened. You and I sit in churches today of all different titles and all different denominations and all different ways because there was a season of time where if you were not under this one group of holy priests, then you were anathema, you were excluded, you were kept out. But there was this season of life where people began to realize as they learned to read and as they read scripture, they began to realize that every believer, every follower of Jesus was a priest. Every man, every woman, every child that would give their heart in faith to Christ would be made into a holy priesthood. They were a part of something bigger. And therefore, the family of God was not limited to those who were the holiest, although have you ever met a perfectly holy human? Never. So that excluded everyone. And those who perhaps, well, that's designated for the special people. The special people get to be priests. Well, no, the scripture teaches that you are a priest. The moment that you place your faith in Christ, you are now a vehicle and a vessel of the will of God and the word of Jesus proclaiming him to the world. And it's not just set aside for the professional Christians. It's you. You are a holy person, a holy priesthood. Why? Because you're holy? Absolutely not. Because your priest is holy or your preacher is holy or your prophet is holy? No way. Because Jesus is holy. And all of those who turn to him grow as a holy priesthood to proclaim the excellencies of God through their lives to those around them. That's your job. That's who you are. And you should never stop growing as a priest or a priestess, as a person who is a proclaimer of the excellencies of what God has done for you in calling you out of darkness and shining on you his marvelous light. Never stop growing in your relationship with him. Never stop. You don't age out. You don't retire out. You don't get to quit. Grow. It's a part of overcoming disappointments in this world. And disappointments will push push us towards some of our best growth in our walk with God. There's a third thing that stands out, and we'll close with this. Not only do we learn to live in sincere obedience to the truth, following Jesus as our only model for real life, not only do we learn to never stop growing, 
following Jesus as our only model for real growth. But we also learn, and you'll like this one, we learn in this world that we are to live like royalty. We are to live like royalty. Now, I understand that we think in this world that royalty is something designated for those who are just lucky enough to be born into it, right? Or, or maybe they ran for office in some country that allowed them to run for office, and so they're royalty. Or maybe they just took power in some country where they were allowed to take power, and therefore they are royalty. Uh, maybe royalty is just designated for people with a lot of money, right? And they have the most followers on Instagram and Facebook, and they have the most newsworthy stuff on television, and they, they write the best albums, sing the best songs, you know, they have the best movies, they are the best athletes, and therefore those people are royalty. But here's what I've learned. Most of those people that I've described are not really royal. Their actions don't show that they're royal. Their faith doesn't show that they're royal. But what I find is that it's usually the most unique individuals who trust in Jesus purely and solely as their hope for life, love, and growth, who the Bible says are royal. You, as a follower of Christ, redeemed by imperishable and the precious blood of Christ, you are a prince and a princess, a king and a queen, a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God. You are royal in the eyes of Jesus. And therefore, when he looks at you, he sees something beyond any of the disappointments of this world, any of the projections of this world. He sees royalty. And you and I need to learn to live royal. And here's the thing. In the Bible, it's very, very clear. The messages of this world, they isolate, they separate, they elevate some people and tear down others. But the message of Jesus unifies very clearly over and over again. It covers, it brings people together under one Savior, one person. Who was a Jew, by the way? And that person, Jesus, the Son of God, is the only one who can unify all of us wherever we come from, whatever we have gone through, wherever we have been born, whatever culture we have been born into, it is only Jesus that makes people royal. Both in this world, regardless of how much you have or how little you have. I mean, the truth of Scripture is that, quite frankly, it's most of us who are normal, poor, average, who are the most royal in God's kingdom because of Jesus. You may not feel royal. Your life may not look royal. But if you have been covered by the blood of Christ and if you genuinely believe, it's not based on your bank account or your background. It's not based on what you've done that may be disappointing or how you've been disappointed. You're going to experience disappointment. But Jesus... Jesus is the model for how to live, how to grow, how to love in this world. And he is the one that makes us royal. The Bible very clearly says you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. So Simon Peter, he goes through all of this and he describes your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And here's what I love about the scripture. What a great word for our world today. 
Christians back then came from so many different backgrounds and so many different places as well, but they were one under Christ. He was the one who had unified them and brought them together. That's what Christians lived under in that generation. Guess what? It's still true for us today. The body of Christ knows no boundaries. It goes beyond all things that we set up as divisive elements in our lives that are based on disappointment. It goes beyond that to focus on the precious, imperishable blood of Christ who redeems us. And therefore, he calls all people who believe in him. Catch this. This is the Bible. This is the message of Christ. He calls all people a chosen race, a holy priesthood, sons and daughters. He doesn't exclude anyone based on where they came from. He doesn't exclude anyone based on how much they have. He doesn't exclude them based on what they've been through or where they were born. And in our world today, there's a lot of disappointment that people express based on all of those things. But when you pull into Jesus, can you understand the fact you are royal? And you are royal as a chosen people. Jesus chose to die for you if you would believe in him. Therefore, you belong in a family that is greater than anything that this world could give. What a message for our world today. What a life-changing, heart-changing, action-changing message for all of us today. And not only that, when you recognize that you have been chosen, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation that has no boundaries and no borders. This is the kingdom of God, by the way, that he's talking about, not the kingdom of the world. You're never going to find it in this world. You know what you're going to find in this world? Disappointment. A lot of it. And you'll never overcome it if you live according to that. Somebody, somewhere, something is going to let you down. But when you turn to Christ, he is the only one, the model, for how to live, how to love, and how to grow. And it's because he's the one who makes us sons and daughters. He calls us out of darkness. So here's the thing about a life of a chosen person, a royal priesthood, a son and a daughter. That's who you are. You are called out of darkness, and you are called into his marvelous light. So Jesus legitimately says, if it's of darkness, it's not who you are. If it's of destruction, it's not who you are. If it's of disappointment, that's not who you are. If it's of discouragement, that's not who you are. If it's of destruction, that's not who you are. You are called out of that. And you are called into his light. And light always penetrates the darkness. Do you realize the world is full of darkness, but it only takes a little light to penetrate total darkness. If the lights were out, the room was dark, all it would take was a match. One match, and we could all see. That's all it would take. It only takes a little light. But here's the beautiful thing. As royalty, there's a lot of light in this room. There's a lot of light for those of you in our online family. There's a lot of light in this world when the children of God begin to live royal and not live like the world. That's how you overcome darkness. We are called out of darkness. And it is because of this last thing. It's because of his mercy. It's because of God's mercy. See, we don't get to say, oh, look, I'm royal, so I'm going to do all of it. No, it's his mercy. And this last verse that Simon Peter references is very important. 
He actually talks about a prophet in the Old Testament, Hosea. Have you read Hosea during your shutdown? I, I don't think you have. It's not like a really interesting book that you would go back, oh, man, I'm just going to thumb through Hosea. What a great book. But Hosea is this man who married this woman who had kids by all these other guys except for Hosea. You like that one, don't you, right? And it tells you that things happened way back then that happened today. So the world's still the same, same challenges, same temptations. And his wife has all these other kids. And when it came time to name the kids, it's very interesting. Because you would think that Hosea would be really upset about this. And he was. But when it came time to name the kids, instead of naming the child, the first child, by someone else to his wife, the woman he's married to. Instead of like rejecting that child, he names that child, my child. <laughs> Great name, right? You don't want to go naming your kids that today, right? <laughs> my child. What's your name? My child. Yeah, that's kind of weird. But back then, that's what it meant. In the Hebrew, you look at it. And the difference in Scripture is he could have said, not my child, but he said, my child. In other words, he took in this child that was not his into his family. Let's go one step further. Another child that was born, he named that child Mercy. And he could have shown not mercy to that child, but instead he named that child mercy. And so again, a child that did not belong to him, a child that was born in darkness and destruction, a child that was born in secret, he actually showed mercy. He didn't have any reason to. He could have shown not mercy, but he names the child mercy. And there you have in this letter that Peter writes to Christians saying, there was a point where you were not a child, but you are a child of God because of Jesus. And you really did not deserve mercy, but because of Jesus, you have mercy. And therefore, that's why you're royal. So live that way. And he ultimately would wrap it up because Simon Peter learned this lesson throughout his life. If you want to learn how to overcome the disappointments in this world, follow him. Because there's only one person who is perfect and who is a model for how to really live, how to really love and how to really grow in this world. And it's Jesus, the Son of God. And that's what you get. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for the reminder of who you are and what you've done. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the one, imperishable, perfect, and forever, who not only saves us, but teaches us how to grow in respect to salvation. Who not only loves us, but teaches us how to love sincerely. We thank you that you are the one when we obey and we follow your word in truth, we learn how to truly live. And God, I pray for every person in here today and in our online family that we would learn to grow with you. For some today, that means for the first time, I know that right now in their heart, they're realizing I don't even have a relationship with you, God, much less you, Jesus. And so right now, I know that there's some that are saying, give me that, I need that. If that's you, just pray right now. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus who would rescue me and call me your son or your daughter. And I turn to him today. In faith, I want to be saved. God, I thank you for those people who are praying that right now. And God, I pray that this is step one of their walk with you. For those who have followed you for a long time, but even perhaps today are reminded that they are your sons and daughters and they are royal, but they may not be reflecting that because of disappointments. God, I pray that you will speak your light and your life into their heart right now through Jesus. 
they will overcome disappointments. For when we look to you, you are the one who saves us, rescues us, and moves us beyond the things of this world. So Jesus, we turn our hearts to you right now in your holy name. Amen. What a powerful letter. What a powerful word that Simon Peter would give. And boy, isn't it relevant for what we go through today? And I want to thank you all for being present today, for those of you who worshiped in the room with us, as well as those of you who have joined us online. And we understand it'll be a minute, perhaps before you come back, but we're grateful for you. We love you. Thank you as we do things a little bit different for being faithful in so many ways. And one of the ways that you've been faithful throughout this season is through your giving. And so as you leave the room today, there are boxes in the back. Yeah, we're not going to pass plates, but you can take your offering envelope if you brought it in person. And you can lay it in one of the boxes, the baskets, as you depart. But perhaps you want to still use your technology so you can take your phones. For those of you online, this is how you can give. You see the link and the information there. You can go to Calvary New Orleans and you can follow the instructions and you can continue to give. And here's why. In the midst of shutdown, in the midst of culture, in the midst of great challenge, this church has continued to bring words like this, the word of truth that is imperishable, that will change our lives. And a lot of you have been partners and connected into that. So thank you for that to our online family. And thank you for those of you who are here and you will participate in that today. Wednesday night, we're going to continue in our online study of the names of God. That's been fun. We've set it up a little different for our summer series. As we continue to navigate and learn and grow through this time, uh, we're just going to focus on Sundays for the time with you and your families in this room. So if you're comfortable as you were today, continue to come. We'll sit together. We'll space out. We'll do things as best as we can in the days ahead. But we'll be back here in present or for those of you who are at home today online, both at 915 and at 11, because we want to continue to be the people of God. Today was a great day. We're so grateful for you. And I can't wait to see you again, both online and in this room. But until we meet again, may God continue to bless you. May he keep you. May you continue to overcome life's disappointments by following the one person who is the model. His name is Jesus. And I can't wait to continue in this letter again with you.